Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Cape Sports Now, the Cape Cod Times Facebook Live show and podcast covering all things high school sports here on Cape Cod. I'm Matt Goisman alongside Steve Dudarian. Steve, it is the second week of the playoffs, and we still have 13 Cape teams left. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. And on top of that, we've had really good weather to support it, too. So knock on wood, it stays that way the rest of the week and doesn't back things up, you know, as, as it has in past years. For sure. We're going to go through all the playoff matchups that, we, that are scheduled. Obviously, whoever wins will come back for another game. A lot of that stuff hasn't been decided yet, so... We can't give you, you know, what time the semifinals will be, which days for most sports. There's a few things we do know that we'll be happy to share. Uh, but the format's going to be a lot like last week, but shorter because we're down to 13 teams. Uh, so I think we should get right into it. we got a fair amount of baseball left. you want to start with that? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, the team we've talked about a lot on this show, clearly the Sandwiches baseball team, 18-4 mm-hmm. and four now uh, after uh, – Tournament opening win against D.Y. was a great game, as we'll talk about in a second. They're going to be at number four, East Bridgewater, which comes in 16-3. and three. That game, again, 4 p.m. today up at East Bridgewater. These teams split during the regular season, mm-hmm. and almost like the D.Y. game, this one's really pretty much a toss-up when you look at it. Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if Sandwich wishes their draw was slightly different, just so they could play other teams, because... You know, that win over D.Y., it was a 2-1 walk-off win. It was a great game, but it was the fourth time they played D.Y. this year. They've already played East Bridgewater twice, so they're not going to see a different team unless they can actually get to the semifinals, uh, which, as we'll get to, is going to be very hard. But in that first game, I mean, Dylan Ryan was great. He's He is their ace. He is going to, you know, lead the pitching staff, and they'll use him, I'm sure, as much as they can. Uh, he pitched on Thursday, so we'll see if he's got enough rest to go today or if they go with maybe Woodica, Tyler Woodica or John Tropia or one of them. Uh, but in that first game, one earned unearned run on two hits, two walks, two uh, hit-by-pitches, four strikeouts over seven innings. Really great performance from him. That's what you want to see out of your ace. Obviously, Mike Petit, the big walk-off single uh, to get past D.Y., who is their league rival in the Atlantic Coast League. Petit finished two for four, but he was the only sandwich player in that game with multiple hits. You know, Sandwich has plenty of guys who can hit the ball. Luca Ribari had an RBI double. Sean Connolly singled and scored. Tyler Woodica has had a great year. But they're going to need all of their offense to uh, pull together to get past East Bridgewater because, you know, D.Y., Cam Taubert, Charlie McCaffrey, they were really good. I mean, they pitched a really good game. D.Y.'s offense just could not generate anything really against, except for when they tied the game late uh, against, uh, against Dylan Ryan. But East Bridgewater, uh, they have Liam Levangi, and if Levangi goes, that is a pitcher at a whole other level than either of those guys. Levangi, whose dad, Dana Levangi, is the pitching coach for the Boston Red Sox. He's going to Bryant University, D1 program last year. So in East Bridgewater's 7-0 win over Martha's Vineyard, two-hit shutout, 18 strikeouts. I mean, 18 of the 21 outs were via the K. He is an incredible pitcher. He is really hard to score on or even just get on base against. 
whoever sandwich throws is going to have to be on their game to keep this one close and give sandwich a chance. Yeah. But when you face a guy out of the van, it's almost like you go back to basics, right? Yeah. You know, when you, when you're in little league and stuff like that and you're facing a really good pitcher, what does it become about? It becomes about plate discipline, right? Yeah. Not, not giving the pitcher out swinging mm-hmm. at balls, you know, um, and if they can draw a couple walks early on, even put a, even better be to put a run on the board in the first inning, kind of sure. set the tempo and score first. But, you know, overall, I think the strategy for sandwiches has got to be plate discipline, plate discipline, plate discipline. And then when you get those guys on base, play some small ball, move yeah. them over, and chip away, you know, if you do fall behind early. Yeah, I know the, the money ball argument is that runs matter more than outs. But I think in a game where you may be lucky to score two runs, if you can get them, however, you take them, even if it hurts your chance to have a big inning. Because big, big in- innings are very, very rare against Levangi. He's also one of their better hitters against... Uh, Martha's Vineyard, he had two hits, two RBIs. Uh, Nick Fabroski and Mike Mullaney each went uh, two for three with two runs scored. You know, as we talked about, there's some history here between these teams. 8-1 win for East Bridgewater on April 17. Then two days later, Sandwich comes back to win 8-7 in eight innings. The two teams also split last year. This is a team Sandwich has beaten, uh, but this is not going to be easy for them at all. This is going to be a really tough matchup if they want to get to the D3 South semifinals, which will be later this week. And nothing is easy when you get to this part of the tournament. And mm-hmm. look, I even I tweeted out earlier in the week, I said if DY, I think, had gotten a, gotten a different matchup in the first round, I think there was a very good chance they could be moving on this week as well. But they caught a familiar team, and even though they rallied you know, in the seventh inning to tie it, it just wasn't, wasn't their day. So good season by DY, though, overall, though. I thought they played some pretty good ball at times. Yeah, they year. did. I mean, it's disappointing when your season ends, no matter how it ends. Uh, but that was definitely a really tough effort, a really good effort against a sandwich team that, you know, was 17-4. and four. I mean, they were really good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll drop down to Division 4 South now. we got a quarterfinals. we got three of them today. Uh, so three of the four quarterfinals have a Cape team. Decent chance we'll have at least one team in the semis. Uh, first up, we got number 10, Monomoy, at 13-8 and eight at number 2, Abington, 16-4. and four. That's a 3 p.m. game. So for the Sharks, uh, Joe Cottle was easily their best player in their 2-0 win over South Shore Vogue in the first round. That was a, an upset for Monomoy. He struck out 11, just three hits, two walks uh, in a complete game. He retired 13 straight uh, batters at one point. But the Sharks really needed that because South Shore Vogue pitcher Gavin Scanlon didn't give up a hit. You know, the two runs Monomoy scored were not on hits. Logan Ruthier walked and scored on a ground out by Joe Domango. And then Clifton Wilson reached on an error and scored basically on a mental mistake where there was a throw home and the South Shore Vogue catcher took his foot off the bag. Uh, so the run counted. You know, Ruthier had two walks, two steals in that game, but that lack of offense isn't going to cut it against a Green Wave team that beat Sacred Heart 15-0 uh, in the first round and scored seven of those runs in the first inning. You know, you had Aaron Siegel and John Hawksworth. They each had four RBIs against Sacred Heart. Siegel had three hits, two doubles. Hawksworth, two hits. John Polito also had two hits. You know, the Green Wave didn't have to use too much of any one pitcher. Uh, they had Rick Reisfelder, Brady, Cristoforo, and Aaron Siegel. They combined for a, a five-hitter that basically just took five innings. So all their pitchers are good to go. They can throw whoever they want, basically. Uh, this is going to be a really tough uh, game uh, on the Sharks, and I'd probably pick Abington uh, in this one just because of 
the rest and the offensive prowess. Well, the key for Monomoy, I think, is just going to be keeping everything in front, right? You're probably not going to get a similar strikeout performance from your pitcher. So mm-hmm. real big thing is for whoever is on the mound today, I'm sure Cottle will probably get in there at some point if yeah. he doesn't pitch the whole game, is not you know allowing runners to advance wild pitches, no pass ball, stuff like that. And the infield's got to be clean. Because, again, you can't give a team like Abington free runners because they will drive them in. So certainly if they can be fu- if Monaway can be fundamentally sound, I think it could be close. But as you mentioned, that offense is really going to have to step it up mm-hmm. because I highly doubt you're going to see another 2 nothing decision in a game like this. But you never know. We've seen some strange things in baseball playoffs in, in, in the, uh, the not-so-distant <laughs> um, past. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And as you keep hearing from these coaches, any team that's in the tournament at any point can beat anybody. Oh, yeah. So. You never really know what could happen. If a team has an off day, sure. like if Abington has an off day, there's no reason why Monomoy can't get to the semifinal. We talk about this a lot. Falmouth Baseball last year, 500 mm-hmm. record, last or second to last seed in the tournament, made the South Finals. Uh, we'll drop down to uh, number 12, Mashpee, at 13-8. and eight. They're at number 4, West Bridgewater, a 14-6 and six team. Uh, that's another D4 South quarterfinal. That's today at 4 p.m., I really like uh, this Falcons team just because of how young they are. In the past few years, when Mashpee was kind of dominating and ruling the South Shore League, a lot of seniors on those teams. But this year, a lot of their big contributors have been underclassmen, which is a good sign that this team, which was quite good this year, could be even better in the next couple of years. It starts with their ace, Jagger Bryant. He's just a sophomore, right-handed pitcher. They'll have two more years of him with the core at their pitching rotation. Uh, in Mashpee's 6-2 win over Avon in the first round, Bryant scattered five hits and two walks. He struck out eight. He had a big two-run single uh, as part of a three-hit uh, you know, game at the plate. Other guys, all underclassmen who really contributed, sophomore Will Baker had three hits, juniors Peter Gonzalez and Zach Rogers, and eighth grader Colton Collarin each had two hits. Uh, Rogers and Collarin each had an RBI. A lot of talent that should all be back next year. We'll see. You know, they didn't win the South Shore League this year. That broke a string of years in which they won it every year. So hopefully uh, they can get back on top. And I think even next year they'll be ready to start uh, contending for the title again. On the other side, you have West Bridgewater, who beat Sturgis East 3-1 to reach the quarterfinals. Uh, Craig Dunn got the win, five innings pitched, one run, two hits, nine strikeouts. Uh, Nathan Raza closed out the game with a six-out save. I would also watch out for Devin Gergantis, who had two hits, a run, and an RBI. And also guys like uh, Dunn and Landon Crowley are all big hitters uh, for West Bridgewater. Yeah, I mean, in this one, again, I think the offensive Mashpee is really going to have to step up in this one. And West Bridgewater is a team we've seen actually play a little bit of a spoiler role in mm-hmm. years past in this tournament. This is a very good program, you know, considering they're all the way up to a number four seed now. I believe it was, what, two years ago? Did they knock off uh, St. John Paul? Yeah, and I think last year maybe they were the ones that knocked off Monomoy. So, um, yeah, this is a very good program, and clearly that's gotten better and better each year. It might even be a glimpse of what Mashpee could be in a year or two, as you just mentioned at the top there, mm-hmm. you know, if these young players stick around and keep playing for them. So, um, you know, I think Mashpee's just got to come up with an attitude. Hey, look, we got nothing to lose. We're, at least on paper, look like a bit of an underdog just based on the seedings and, and based on the, you know, the matchups and stuff like that. So I think if Mashpee can come in loose, maybe even take an early lead in this one, um, they can pull off the upset. For sure. And then the last D4 uh, South quarterfinal, number nine, Archib- Archbishop Williams, 13-7. That's at number one, St. John Paul, two. Uh, they're a 19-2 team. That is today at 4 p.m. at Massachusetts Maritime Academy in Buzzards Bay. You covered the Lions' 7-4 win over Bourne. I don't get the sense that Bourne fans felt the refs took this one away from them like they did 
after last year's game against the Lions, but still a really tough loss for a Canalman squad that led through the midpoint of the sixth inning. No, umpires definitely didn't play a factor in this one. Um, this was just a matter of one that kind of got away from Bourne. And yeah. they started off great, like I've mentioned to a couple of these other teams. You know, they scored in the first inning. They yeah. got that first uh, – they got that momentum when James Kuhn in right field threw out a guy at the plate to end the first inning. So Bourne was feeling really good. And then SJP just kept kind of chipping away, chipping mm-hmm. away. They played a little bit of small ball. And using some of their speed on the base pass, just got to force an errant throw and tied the game. You know, things like that happen in baseball sometimes. As Coach uh, Sean Donovan said after the game, it's a fickle sport. You know, sm- the smallest thing can lead to a chain reaction. But um, kudos to SJP for not getting down. I mean, for a while it looked like their offense just wasn't going to get it together in that game. They weren't really – they were putting decent swings on the ball, but they just weren't putting it um, – they were hitting it right at Warren's guys. I think the second inning they hit three straight ground balls to second baseman Brandon Sullivan. Mm-hmm. So for a while it just didn't look like they were going to get any bounces. But – um Again, kudos to the Lions for the top seed to keep fighting. And big kudos to Colby August, who stepped in and really provided some key relief innings uh, for Andrew Cassidy. Andrew Cassidy got the start, just wasn't really hitting his uh, spots. And Mm -hmm. um, August provided some great relief appearances and, in a way, kind of won it for them when when you look at the grand scheme of things and slowing down Bourne's offense. For sure. It's why there's that phrase in baseball about stopping the bleeding or minimize the damage. You know, if you give up a couple of runs, can you get out of it without collapsing? And I think Bourne, as they watch their lead get chip, you know, diminish and diminish and diminish, they kind of lost track a little bit. And then all of a sudden, St. John Paul, Will Good has the big RBI single. And then they're still not able to get back in it and get out of the inning. So Kevin Flynn and Sean Roycroft each tack on insurance runs. And so all of a sudden, Bourne is down three and down to its last three outs. And that's very hard to score that much in in the seventh inning like that. And to top it off, it actually the start of the sixth inning started with an error, actually. So, I mean, all those runs in that innings were unearned. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, you got to take advantage. You know, even when, when teams give you an out like that, you got to take it. And not an out like a one, two, three out. I mean, like they give you, a, you know, an extra edge, mm-hmm. some extra life. And SJP was able to pounce on that opportunity. Definitely. Colby August, five strikeouts over 3.1 innings in relief. He got the win, so hopefully a rested bullpen that's ready to go. You know, and they're going to need it because Archbishop Williams is the defending Division Four state champions. The Bishops, or a lot of people call them the Archies. They're technically the Bishops, but Archies, I think, is I the think more. just call them Archies or yeah, sometimes. It's yeah, it's the more familial kind of name. Uh, they beat Upper Cape 5-0 in the first round. Miles McDermott threw a complete game with 10 strikeouts. Uh, Dave Ryan and Brandon Sullivan each had three hits against Upper Cape. There's real history between these teams. Archbishop Williams beat St. John Paul in the 2018 South semifinals, and then, as I mentioned, went on to win the state title. One thing I'm curious about is, so last year the Lions, obviously they played on at McKeon Park behind their school. It's where the Hyannis Harbor Hawks played. They just dedicated their, their new field uh, yesterday. Cape Cod Baseball League gets underway today. Hope everybody is excited for that. I certainly am. Uh, and so because of all the construction – This year, St. John Paul has had to play at Buzzards Bay, at at Mass Maritime Academy, which is a turf field. So hopefully they're a little bit more used to how the ball rolls on a turf field. Last year in the semifinals at uh, Plymouth North, I really thought uh, the Lions didn't know how to cover the outfield, especially on a turf field. I thought because McKeon is a grass field, they didn't space themselves right. They were always either too far back or too far forward. And I wonder if a little bit more comfort with an artificial surface will help them 
win this game, obviously, it's their home field. And then if they do go to the semifinals, if it's on a turf field, uh, will help them be a little bit more comfortable on that surface. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing more and more of these fields kind of pop up across the state now. I don't know for sure if Archbishop Williams has played on one yet this year, mm-hmm. but I do know that actually I think the bigger impact is more so just, one, not being able to play with studs. You could pretty much have to wear sneakers on that field. Yeah. Um, but two, more so the infield bounces, the bounces the ball takes coming off the infield. I think everything's All that stuff too. a little bit more even. You know, when you have bunts and stuff like that, ball is going to kind of keep rolling instead mm-hmm. of just kind of sitting in the grass over there. So. Yep. Um, I guess that's a bit of an advantage for the infielders, but I don't know. I would look into that too much. Like, this is a state championship team that's coming in and facing St. John Paul, and really, what I think this is just going to come down to is who can play, or who can pitch better. Number one, and two, who can uh, knock in guys with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen a lot of times where teams are able to put runners on base, but they're not able to bring them home. And I think the team that actually executes with guys in scoring position, again, is going to end up the victor in this one. And, you know, you saw Archbishop Williams is, is highly touted as they are. You know, Upper Cape was able to limit them for a long time in that game. I think it was 2 nothing entering the seventh inning, mm-hmm. and then they added three unearned runs at the end. So I, there's no saying that St. John Paul, it, again, if they pitch well and they hit their spots and the defense plays well behind them, there's a very good chance they can win this game. I agree. Uh, that wraps it up for baseball. We don't know. It hasn't, or last time I checked, it hadn't been announced what the dates and locations were going to be for the semifinals. Uh, so if anybody moves on, we'll be sure to tweet that information out as soon as we have it. You can follow uh, the Cape Cod Times Sports Department at SportsCCT. Uh, we'll turn it over to softball. We have two softball teams still left. Uh, today, uh, we've got the Division II South quarterfinals between number 5 Norton, a 16-4 and team, and number 4 Falmouth, an 18-3 and team. That is a 4 p.m. game over at Falmouth High School. Yours surely will be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll be at St. John Paul Baseball, so come say hi to us. Uh, the Clippers, I really think they have been playing their best softball at the end of the season. The loss to D.Y. in the Cape Cod Showdown Championship notwithstanding. You know, they won five of their last six games during the regular season, and clearly that momentum carried over to their po- uh, playoff opening 4-2 win over Dedham. Uh, what I really liked about that win was that Falmouth got production from younger players who haven't gotten as much attention as some of their senior teammates or higher-profile teammates. You know, you had Haley Sylvia and Rochelle Andrade, that, who are both freshmen this year. They're in the bottom four in terms of team batting average, but they came through each with a big RBI single, and that happened because Dedham intentionally walked Megan Robbins, who's like a 500 hitter for Falmouth, to go after Sylvia and Andrade. You know, you had the big hitters coming through. Robbins had two hits, an RBI, two runs scored. Charlotte Sylvia was two for three with a double and a run. Maeve Cutter scored. Abby Pope had an RBI. Molly Bruce, the ace, the lead, the lead, off, the lead pitcher for this last year for her. Five hits, no walks, six strikeouts, and six innings. Uh, but if they can get that kind of production from the people lower in the lineup who other teams may think are an area of the lineup they can exploit – then they're a really complete offense that's going to be really hard to keep down. Yeah, we talked a lot about D.Y. being very strong 1-9, through nine, and I think you're starting to see Falmouth kind of come around and getting that production from you know the bottom of their lineup, as you just mentioned there, and that game was huge. But, um, yeah, you know, you mentioned teams are really taking notice of Megan Robbins, the power mm-hmm. that she has. You know, we saw her, I believe she had a home run and a win over Marshfield earlier in the year. Marshfield, very talented Division One yeah. team, so... Um, you know, this is a Falmouth softball team I think's really kind of saved its best play for the end of the season. Not that they didn't play well earlier in the year, but, you know, again, this is a team that's starting to look like a potential, you know, contender here. And I don't know how much familiarity there are between the two teams, Norton 
kind of plays more so up in that. Um, I don't think they're Hawk Rock. I think more like out of that Tri Valley kind they of league. It might be Tri Valley League, yeah. It's up there. So, I mean, it's very good competition they play throughout the year, only four losses. So, I don't think there's a lot of daylight between these two teams. And it could come down to a 2 1 win, just like Norton won on uh, Sunday, 2 1 decision. So, yep. They, um, they beat uh, Dighton Rehoboth 2 1 on Sunday in the first round. Sophia Knopf, a complete game, three hitter. She struck out seven. Uh, Destiny McGrath, the big hitter for the Lancers in that game, played both runs with a two run double. You know, this is a program that has made the semifinals each of the last four years. So Norton players know what playoff pressure is. They know how to play in the postseason and how to win in the postseason. So we'll see if that matters at all compared to a Falmouth team that's got some younger players who are maybe a little less used to the postseason, although it clearly hasn't hurt them in the first round. Uh, The winner will be at Taunton High School on Wednesday for the semifinals. We don't have the times yet. We'll update if anybody wins. Right. Now going down to Division uh, 3, so uh, Monomoy, which won yesterday, uh, comes in at 22, is going to face number 4, Abington at 19-3. and three. These teams will play at Taunton High School at 5 p.m. Tuesday, yep. so not a back-to-back for Monomoy <laughs> like some of these other teams. But, boy, the Sharks have uh, made things interesting so far. They needed eight innings to get past Wareham in the first round, but then you know the 2 nothing win yesterday over Bellingham was much more definitive statement, especially yeah. last year when... Um, they had Monomoy to go 10 had to, innings to beat Bellingham last right. year. And, um, you know, Molly Tress, is, as always, I think has really stepped it up in the postseason. Mm-hmm. 10 strikeouts yesterday, gave up just two hits a walk, one hit by pitch. Um, and only two at-bats during the game did you have a runner get past first base, so really not allowing anyone to get in scoring position, as you kind of mentioned in baseball, is huge. Absolutely. You know, and then on the offensive side, Maddie Cross and Caroline DiGiovanni and Mackenzie Cardillo all had two hits. Uh, the big hitter for them, obviously, was Sam Barr. She had a great RBI triple that she just tagged down the left field line that rolled all the way to the fence, crossing easily scored from first. And then Barr with some really nice heads-up base running. So Molly Charest pulls a grounder to the left side of the infield. She kind of strays off third a little bit, waits for the throw, and as soon as it's gone, she takes off for home and then does sort of a hand slide where she slides wide of home plate, so real far away from the Bellingham catcher, and just gets her hand under the tag on the plate and uh, was called safe for the second run of the game. Barr is a really complete player. They didn't have her for Bellingham last year because she was out with a concussion. She only missed that one game, but still really good veteran presence. I love the way she plays first base where she'll stretch out for every single ball thrown her way. It doesn't matter if it's a grounder uh, to second where the runner's only halfway up the base pass. She'll still stretch. And, you know, when I talked to her about it, she said she does it on those simple plays. So when she has to do it on a hard play, she's comfortable doing it. And there was a bunt real early in the game, the first or second inning, that, you know, forced a real tough throw from third. And she had to stretch for it and got the out by a half a step. So, you know, her strategy, it's a very effective one. And, you know, it's stuff like that that makes college coaches, you know, love you and want to uh, recruit you. And she is going to be playing college softball. So, mm-hmm. you know. The downside, I think, for the Sharks last uh, yesterday, eight guys left on base, one for 10 hitting with runners in scoring position, and that one hit didn't play to run. They can't really afford to do that against the Green Wave or the defending Division Three champions, but this is a team that I really like the kind of complementary style of pitching, defense, and hitting. If they can do that again, they're going to be tough to beat. Abington coming off a 14-4 win over Coyle Cassidy in the quarterfinals, and then they beat Sacred Heart 15-0 in the first round. So clearly a very strong offensive team. Casey Strubel won in the circle, two hits, three RBIs, two runs at the plate. 
Jordan Needle had three hits and two RBIs. You know, there's a ton of offense against Coyle, but Lauren Kelleher homered. Mackenzie Bailey and Victoria Butler both hit well. But if there is an area I think Monomoy can exploit, it might be Abington's defense. Uh, you know, Coyle Cassidy scored three runs on three errors in the top of the first inning. And if you can give Sharesta a 3-0 lead, that might be enough if she's really on her game. Right. But on the other hand, you know, this is a team that can clearly hit to it, as you just mentioned. Oh, and yeah. I don't think we've seen Monomoy do a lot of being able to keep up offensively. I think if, you know, if it goes the other way and Sharesta, you know, gets behind, Monomoy gets behind, then I think that offense is really going to have to try to pick it up because, you know, if you spot Abington a 3 nothing lead, I think it's going to be even harder to, to knock off the uh, defensive state champs. I mean, this is pretty much this is pretty basic baseball softball philosophy. Whichever team can take an early lead first is probably going to have a pretty big advantage moving forward. But you never know. We could get an offensive slugfest. I, I doubt it, but, you know, it's certainly possible. And it's unfortunate, you know, it goes to neutral site at this point. And in past years, this is kind of where Modern Ways exited on neutral site. So. Yeah, they made the semifinals in 2017. Uh, it's been a while, maybe never, that they've made the finals. Uh, so we'll see if they can get there. Right. Um, so we shift over to lacrosse. Over to lacrosse, Let's yeah. Let's do it. So um, the number two sandwich boys, they'll take on number 11 Plymouth South. That's 5 p.m. today at Hanover High School. So a little different this year. Semifinals going to a neutral site. I know in years past, the semifinals were at the higher seeds Yeah, facility. they do it differently every year, I think. Um, and as we'll get to, it's a little funky how it ad- ended up this year, but um, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Sandwiches boys, have, you know, they've taken care of business in the first two rounds, but in the first two games, they've gotten to m- some really slow starts. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for the Blue Knights, they finished very strongly in the second half of both games, and neither of them have come down to um, last-second decisions mm-hmm. or anything like that. Offensively, everyone seems to be contributing once they get going. Aiden Rodgers and Charlie Chapman in particular have been really good. But also C.J. Wiper, Cam Lopes, Tim Ladner. Um, we talk about Tim Ladner really every week, of I course. think. Um, defense has been pretty great, just 12 goals combined um, in the first two games. Mm-hmm. But this Plymouth South team is tough, coming in as number 11 seed. Um, they knocked off number 6 Old Rochester and then number 3 Canton to get here. Pat Spencer has been really great um, marking top scores from opposing teams. But I think Sandwich has too many weapons, though. When you, you can't take one guy who's your top defender and just expect him to shut down everybody. Unless, mm-hmm. Even if you switch him around, I think Sandwich does a real good job of finding the open man, getting the defense to move, and almost like hockey, just finding that open shot. So if Sandwich can lock down uh, junior Matt Daly, who's Plymouth South's top scorer, um, it should should be heading to the final against either number one Hanover or number 13 Situate, which is the defending mm-hmm. sectional champ. Situate played a very difficult schedule, hence that number 13 seed. Um, that game would be Thursday in Hingham uh, for the final. So, Meanwhile, uh, we have uh, number two Nantucket. Uh, the boys, they're at number th- or their take on number three Cohasset at 4 p.m. That's today at Norwell High School. Yeah, it seems these teams uh, meet quite often. And when you look at the past, um, in yeah. soccer, in boys soccer, just this past fall, uh, Cohasset knocked out Nantucket in the uh, semifinals. So, and I think Cohasset has knocked out Nantucket in previous in years too. In previous year too, I think they were in a sectional final a few years back yeah. in soccer as well. But again, different sport. You mm-hmm. know, when you move on, but I think this is where Nantucket truly gets tested. And, and as strong as Ty Harnesfeger and Spencer West were against Bourne in Nantucket's sixteen to six opening win. It's going to take a whole other level to get by the defending state champs. Coas is one of those teams that can play with anybody. I mean, you look at its losses. They were to teams BC High, Lincoln Sudbury, mm-hmm. Zavarian Brothers, Franklin, all elite Division One talent. They lost to Norwell, kind of their brothers, so to speak, you know, 13-12 to 12 in like mm-hmm. triple overtime. It was a crazy game. 
So, I mean, this is a team that, can, like I said, can compete with anybody. Guys like Greg Thomas have 80 points, 42 goals, 38 assists. Patrick uh, Dioniso, 41 goals, 18 assists. And Jake Sullivan, 32 goals, 33 assists. All of these are outstanding players, and the scary part is they're all juniors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> None of these guys are seniors. So, needless to say, Nantucket should have its hands full, and you know they gonna have to. They're gonna have to bring their best plus a little bit more, I think, to get past Cohasset. Definitely. And then the only girls team we have left are the number one Martha Vineyard girls. They're gonna play number four Hanover. That's Tuesday at Hanover High School. So as we have said. Sometimes the higher rounds in the the later rounds in the sectional tournament are at neutral sites, and sometimes they're at somebody you know a host site or not because Hanover is the lower seat. Right, so. it's not not quite as egregious as when Franklin played Barnstable in volleyball and they got their own home game in a state semifinal. But yeah. you know this is obviously <laughs> a little unfavorable, you know, for the Vineyard girls who clearly played well enough in the regular season to earn a number one seed. But you know, even though. You know, earlier in the week, obviously with the Vineyard, they were dealing with some controversy earlier in the week. Both their coaches, Kirsten Moore, Bob Heyman, suspended uh, for the year for violating practice rules. Mm-hmm. But you know, kudos to the Vineyard; they were able to kind of shake that off and really dominate in their first round win over uh, Fontbonne Academy. Addie Heyman, Alexis Condon, Louis McDonald were all solid in that mm-hmm. game, all putting up go- uh, goals early on. I think it was eleven-one at the half. So um, that team didn't really see it but beat on the field. So. Unfortunately, it's not only a tough draw with Hanover, but Hanover's going to host. And this is a very good squad that, you know, we were hoping actually to see Sandwich versus Martha's Vineyard mm-hmm. in this matchup. And Sandwich was leading at halftime in their semifinal over the weekend. And but, then they just faded in the second half. Right. So, um, but no, Hanover's a very good team. Sidney Weber, only a sophomore, had eight goals against Sandwich. Claire Connolly had four. It'll be really interesting to see if Heyman can stay with Weber, maybe keep her in check, you know, kind of shadow her throughout the field. Mm hmm. I think both are pretty solid midfielders, and maybe the two will cancel each other out. <laughs> but this is a very solid Hanover team, and um, I'd be very surprised to see, um, you know, if the Vineyard can not only keep with this team, but maybe even you know beat them as they've beaten some yeah. other teams this year. That'll wrap it up for lacrosse tennis. We've got four tennis teams left: three girls' teams, uh, one boys' team. I think the first one, number 10 Sandwich against number 6 Cohasset today at Norval High School at 4 p.m. Of the four teams left, I think that's clearly the one that's the most surprising. The other ones, the two Vineyard squads and the Sturgis West girls, all very good in the regular season, and we expected or we figured they had at least a good chance for a good deep run like this. Yeah, their singles players have been playing uh, really well. Sarah Etri, Jay Ferguson, and Sophia Esdale have only lost one set among them in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You know, part of that, you know, playing in D3, I think, helps Sandwich a little bit, especially considering the teams that they play regular season throughout the year. Most of them, you know, the Nossets. Yeah, and Nossett. Some of their bigger schools. So, um, I think they play Barnstable. They play them twice each right. year. And so they, they, it's definitely not easy. So I don't want to say necessarily it's the most surprising, but certainly, you know, it's a good story and a, and a yeah. good run for this program. And certainly all those higher-seeded teams they upset would call it surprising. Right. Um, Kowasset made the final last year and is also a very solid opponent. Um, still, they lost um, top singles matches against number three, Wareham. So mm-hmm. I think if Sandwich can go two for three in singles, take one of the doubles, I think that's their most likely victory scenario. Meanwhile, uh, number four, Sturge West girls, they're going to play number one, Ursuline, uh, 4 p.m. today. That's at Severian Brothers High School, which is in Westwood. Uh, it's a tough challenge for the Navigators, uh, but, you know, they've gotten this far, so. 
Yeah, no, a number one singles player, you know, that's this is going to be the tough thing for Sturgis is that uh, number one singles player, Nicole Waldron, is going to miss the semifinals. She's on a family vacation. Mm-hmm. We knew that last week. Yep. So even adding to the challenge is replacing your number one singles player. So without Waldron, I, I kind of see a tough path for Sturgis to beat Ursuline. You know, Laura Gay and Jesse DeMarco will have to step up. One of them is going to have to take that spot. But Ursuline comes in undefeated and. I think it's a very good chance gets back to the final as they did last year. Cool. We'll wrap it up with the two vineyard teams. Uh, we'll start with the boys. Uh, they're gonna the number two vineyard boys are gonna play number three old Rochester, four p.m. on Tuesday. That's at Martha's Vineyard. That's the D three uh, South tournament. It's weird. Uh, Vineyard's got old Rochester in both boys and girls. But it's D2 in girls and D3 in boys. Well, we obviously, we know the reason for that. The girls yeah. winning all their state championships, they moved up last year. Yep. And yada, yada. You've heard, it on, the, yeah, you've heard it on the show apparently before. Apparently, old Rochester <laughs> wanted to do the same thing. Right. So, you know, kudos to them for that. Um, you know, I'm really interested in the boys matchup to see ORR's Ro- Ray Williams. Mm-hmm. I almost said Roy Williams. That's the, <laughs> that's the North Carolina coach. Faced Martha's Vineyard, Chris Ferry. Um, both of these guys were um, some of the two top small school individual players mm-hmm. in the region. They both play in the individual tournament. Um, also, you know, playing in individuals was Old Rochester's doubles team, Ian Fredericks and Joe uh, uh, Sheridan. Sure. Um, their top doubles pair, Jack uh, Caden, Jeff Noonan, um, were both seated, you know, both of those guys were seated higher in the individual tournament as individual players in Martha's mm-hmm. Vineyard, Eric Rubens, who is a third singles player. So um, this is going to be a tough path. I think Old Rochester's got a lot of talent and, you know, Considering the competition they play throughout the year, this is going to be a tough matchup for the Vineyard. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how Fredericks and Sheridan match up against the Vineyard's uh, top doubles team, which has been one of the the best parts of that team this year. Mm -hmm. And then on the girls' side, you know, this might be our best matchup across all sports this week, just looking at, you know, two undefeated teams coming in. Obviously, single elimination, so loser goes home, winner moves on. Um all Rochester has some very solid talent that could give the Vineyard a run for its money, especially its doubles pairings. Uh, Delaney Sousa, Caroline Owens, and then uh, Charlotte Cole and uh, Kinsley Dickerson both were ranked in mm-hmm. the individual tournament as doubles pairs. Yep. And since doubles has kind of been the Vineyard's weak spot, definitely I think Old Rochester's best chance of winning is to sweep both of them and then trying to knock off one of their singles. Um, and while I think Carrie Claren- Kelly Claren will keep rolling, I think the real question is going to be if Hannah Robaska and Victoria Scott can also take care of business in this match. I, I agree. The thing with the Vineyard with the individual tournament is they have a policy that if a player can't commit to doing the whole thing, right. they don't enter them in of the course. first place. So you will have situations where the whole team could compete, but a lot of them don't because they don't believe they could actually do all three rounds if they were to right. get that far. So obviously old Rochester, very talented, strong team across the board, how that would stack up against the vineyard. We don't know because I don't think either doubles team even competed in the individual tournament. So we never saw how uh, Pogan and Quinlan Potter say, or, or Rigo and Hammond, how they would have done if they had been in it, you know, unlike in previous years where, you know, Williamson and, and Cat Roberts, they, or yeah, uh, they could have all teamed up together. Right. And as you mentioned before the show, too, it's look, the Vineyard, um, or excuse me, Old Rochester hasn't swept 5 0 in any of these matchups so far. In, in each yeah. of their matches, it was 3 2 against Westwood in their opener, I think 4 1 in the uh, quarterfinal. So you, you're right, there's a very good chance that Old Rochester isn't as strong as they're touted. But my point is, you come in as an undefeated team, this is going to be a very difficult hurdle, I think, for the Vineyard, Vineyarders to get by. 
and uh, we'll see what happens from there. For sure. We'll close with a quick look back uh, at the track and golf's uh, wrap-ups to those seasons last week. You know, we weren't sure if Mackenzie Condon, the senior from Martha's Vineyard, was going to compete at New England's this past Saturday up in Maine uh, because, you know, she's going to Nationals and she's already signed with Harvard, so she doesn't have a whole lot left to, left to prove. But she did go to New England's, and ha-ha, surprise, surprise, she did pretty well. You know, fifth place in the 100-meter hurdles, 15.69 seconds. That was actually slightly slower than her time at Allstate, but whatever. Uh, and then she placed sixth in the 300 hurdles at 45.67 seconds. As I mentioned, she's going to the New Balance National Outdoor Meet. Uh, that's this week. It's at North Carolina A&T, which is in Greensboro. She's going to compete in the heptathlon. She was the Allstate pentathlon champion a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then for Falmouth, Abby Chorches, she was 10th out of 32 in the shot put, uh, throw a 38 feet, four and three quarter inches. You know, we've talked a lot about how with Dennis Yarmouth, Tiana Basie having graduated now, they had their graduation ceremony this past weekend and her season done. Chorches is a junior. She'll be back next year. And she really looks like kind of the favorite to be the top thrower on the Cape and should be able to compete again for, all-state indoor and outdoor titles next year. Yeah, I think there's a very good chance she'll be throwing over 40 feet sometime soon and be really interesting. When I talked to her, she said she was looking to go to some Division One schools, but within New England. So it'll be very interesting to see where she ends up because mm -hmm. she definitely, I think, has the ability to throw at the collegiate level. And with Condon, you know, the thing that interests me most is actually Massachusetts introduced the 400 hurdles, which is the olympic size event, yeah. about 10 years ago. But when some of the other states in New England haven't gone to that event yet. So Condon finishing sixth in New England in an event that she doesn't even do throughout the yeah, year. Right? <laughs> it's pretty impressive, you know, and, and 300 hurdles, it's a much shorter race. So you definitely have to pace yourself a lot differently mm -hmm. um, than a, just a full-out lap around the circle. So... Kudos to Condon for doing something like that because I actually remember, I think my freshman year of high school, 2007 mm -hmm. or 2008, they had the 300, and then the next year they went to 400, just a full lap. So. Did it screw up all the hurdlers? <laughs> uh, for a little bit. I think there was some time it took to adjust, but I frankly like the 400 hurdles. Like Again, that's the event you see in college and mm -hmm. you know, internationally. And the Olympics, yeah. So, I mean, it's just a kind of a modified version of the event. And in indoors, sometimes you see the 300-meter um, mm -hmm. sprint. So... Um, no, again, kudos to Khan for doing that and doing a doing a meet, which frankly she didn't even have to compete in, as you mentioned. Um, so we can't leave the show certainly without mentioning the Sandwiches Girls Golf Team, though. I mean, incredible year. Winning winning the um, Spring Golf State Tournament a week ago today at Pleasant Valley in Sutton. Uh, Emma Abramson, Bridget Lopes, Christina Timmy, Emily Hunt, Kylie Quinn, and Caitlin Wick make up that squad. Mm -hmm. All of them are outstanding and just a fantastic accomplishment for a team that just started as a full girls golf squad this mm -hmm. season. Um, clearly, these players, as we mentioned before, have played for either other programs or had played on boys' teams. Or the Sandwich Club girls' team, right. which they had had for a few seasons. Um, I really think Christina Timmy, did she transfer this year or last year? I think year? it was a couple of years because she was doing it from St. John St. Paul. St. John Paul, yeah. So yeah. she kind of came, and then this year they got Emma Abramson too. She finally became varsity kind of eligible. And I think those new additions, that was what really convinced uh, Sandwich that they could go varsity, and clearly it worked out. I mean, Emma Abramson is going to – she is really good, and by the time she's a senior, she's going to be really, really good, and I think we'll be seeing right. her golf at the next level as long as she keeps her interest in it. Right, and you know what's interesting is that none of these players were quite at the top of the leaderboard, but just collectively, yeah. you know, with their talent, was able to, to pull off the state tournament title, team mm -hmm. title. Yeah, so. you need – so in the state tournament – 
six can golf and you drop the two lowest scores. So you need four really good uh, golfers to kind of put up good numbers. And that's what sandwich did to win. And a lot of programs would be happy to have one or two. So to have four is a, is a treat. Certainly. Cool. I think that'll do it for this week's episode of Cape sports. Now Uh, we'll be back next week. And then maybe the week after that, it depends on how this week goes. Uh, But if you missed this episode, you can find it in all previous episodes on our website, capecottimes.com slash Cape sports. Now You can also find it uh, through our Cape Cod Times Facebook page. You can download the podcast through basically any podcast app, Google, iPhone, uh, or Apple products, Spotify, wherever, you know, podcasts can be found. As I mentioned, you can check the Cape Cod Times Sports uh, Twitter feed for updates uh, at SportsCCT. We're also on Twitter individually. I'm at Matt Goisman CCT. That's M-A-T-T-G-O-I-S-M-A-N-C-C-T. And I'm also on Twitter at Steve underscore Derderian. My last name's D-E-R-D-E-R-I-A-N. Enjoy the games out there. It's a beautiful day. Absolutely.